Good morning, church. It's so good to see you all this morning. Today is a very special, sad, bittersweet day as it's our last day with Pastor Greg here. So we want to take a few minutes just to acknowledge all he's done for us and thank him. So I'm going to invite the staff and elders, Greg and Linda, to come up and join me on stage as we just take a a few minutes to um, thank them. And as they're coming up, I'll uh, share a couple funny stories. Um, Greg has been with us almost for two years now. He thought that he would be here for about nine months and then COVID and then everything else we ran into. So we've really gotten to know him over the two years. Uh, Linda has been gracious in allowing Greg to come out two weeks every month for two years. And then he's back with Linda in Santa Barbara or traveling on other vital church projects. So we've really gotten to know him. And a um, couple funny things before, I'm sorry, this service I am gonna get weepy because this is last. So here we go. Um, but we'll start with the funnies. Uh, the first few weeks Greg was here, we were in staff meetings and he was getting to know us. We were getting to know him. And he kept referring to Mario. Oh, Mario will take care of that. Mario can do that. And we thought, who's this Mario guy? Is he like a consultant or something? And he was talking about Marcel. So <laughs> Marcel is pretty awesome. And his nickname is now Mario. So <laughs> there's that. A um, lot of Greg-isms, Greg sayings that are going to live on through the staff and, and at church. Um, many times we'd be praying in our staff meeting. And by the end of the meeting, we'd hear from um, someone that the prayer, prayer had already been answered, um, the, that God was listening to us, believe it or not. And Greg's response is always, who knew? <laughs> Um, and the, uh, the weeks that he was on the West Coast, he would join us for our staff meetings, which start at 9.30 here, 6.30 for him. One of Greg's things is we start meetings on time and we end meetings on time. And that sounds good in theory. <laughs> he was always there at 6.30 a.m., but the first thing he would say after hello was, hang on, I got to get my coffee. And he'd run off and get his coffee. And ending meetings on time, stat, well, you know, if you consider it like an eight-hour meeting on time, then we always, we managed to do that in staff, so... Um, and just one thing that you, you, you will hear us say from time to time because it's just such a perfect word that encapsulates any kind of response. We heard this often from Greg. So we'd be talking about something and come to a conclusion and his response was, boom. So that, that he says that a lot. It's a, it's a universal word that you know, kind of covers everything. So feel free to, to take that on. Um, But in all seriousness, Greg, you have done so much for our church, so much for our staff, our leadership, the people of our church, and you've done it with such grace and humility. That's the word that kept coming up as I was asking staff and and elders what they would want to share. And just a humble leadership. You challenged us. You um, corrected us when need be. But in a humble way, and you let us stumble and figure it out. Um, I think the amazing thing is Greg just always believed in us. He believed in us more than we did, I think. Um, he believes in this church, he believes in you, and 
we know that God does the heavy lifting. We can pray and plan and work and do tasks, but it's up to God to do the heavy lifting. And Greg reminded of us, reminded that um, us of that many times. Uh, he challenged each of us. I know on staff, we have grown spiritually, emotionally, in different ways. Um, he encouraged us and believed in us to really see ourselves as pastors, no matter what our role here on staff. And I think that holds true for the entire church. Each of us is a pastor. We have a ministry field wherever we are. So feel empowered and emboldened in that because it just brings hope and light into uh, every day when you're, when you're working for God. Um, Greg has really stretched us, and we appreciate that. He's set healthy boundaries and not afraid to do some pruning, but I think he discovered and we discovered that the real hard work was at the roots, and he has worked hard at the roots of our church, our staff, our leadership. He's uh, tilled the soil and fertilized, and it's just exciting. It's sad to see him go, of course, but we are in such a healthy place, and I know that God is just going to bear fruit through his work here and through the church. So we just want to uh, thank Greg, thank Linda for letting us have him for two years. <laughs> and um, we appreciate you so much. And you're truly a man of God who has a passion for the gospel. And you've shared that and, and, and brought that into our culture. So we thank you for that so much. Um, John Gwynn is going to speak for the elders now, and then we will pray for them and continue in our gathering. As Barbara was talking about some of the different um, funny things, I, I was thinking about one of the first times that Greg had spoke at the church, um, and, he's, and he, uh, being from California, didn't prepare for the cold and had uh, grabbed a uh, a sweatshirt out of out of the uh, lost and found, and came up and said, "You know, if this looks familiar, just uh, let me know." So, so <laughs> I knew he was going to fit in. So, if that was yours. Now's your last chance to to do that. But a couple other little things I was thinking of was most people when they think when they talk about somebody who's a stud, they think about a big muscular bodybuilder guy. But Greg uh, refers to uh, theologians that he really respects as studs. The first time he referred to that, I'm like, did you just call a theologian a stud? <laughs> Which I think is actually a testament to how much you respect uh, the scripture, you know? And, uh, you know, so those things. And also I, another thought was that he, he mentions, when he, when he refers to time, he doesn't think of how many years ago it was, he thinks of how many churches ago it was. <laughs> so that's another. But I just wanted to thank you so much, both you and Linda, for. Um, how much you guys have just sacrificed, uh, not only now through these two years, but just your time leading up to this with how much uh, experience and, and life um, uh, giving that you've done and, and poured into the church. It's, it's a blessing to all of us. So um, can we just, everybody just reach out your hands and, and come and uh, let's pray for them as they launch into a new season. Father, we thank you for your servants Father, who are such, uh, Lord, willing to do your work, willing to do the hard work, willing to hear your voice, to hear your call. And Father, I pray as, as Greg moves into this new season, and Linda as well, that they would begin to get vision, that they begin to dream dreams of what you have for their future, Father. Just 
help their hearts to be open to you and to your Holy Spirit speaking into their lives. I pray that you'd bless them and bless their families, Father. We thank you so much for their, for their faithfulness. Pour your presence on them now, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Boom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Linda has um, prepared a prayer for Community Covenant Church, and so at the end of uh, my sermon, she'll come up and, and uh, pray that uh, over us. I was telling the first service that I um, want to welcome people online. I kind of forget to do that sometimes, so welcome. Welcome to you. Um, uh, first service, uh, you know, uh, Facebook will remind you of a memory, right? And so every once in a while you'll get something that pops up on your feed. And just like two days ago, uh, something popped up on my feed. And some of you know that I served another church in Taunton before I served here, and there was a few months in between when I ended and started, but uh, I got this feed popped up on my Facebook about my first sermon uh, at that other church, which was almost to the day four years ago. And so for the better part of four years, I've had the privilege of coming back and, and serving two different churches in southern Massachusetts, and it's been uh, quite a joy for me to be able to do that, especially here. Um, I was telling somebody the other day that I'm not aware of anybody in this church who doesn't like me. Now, you might not like me, but I haven't heard about it yet. Uh, but in almost every church, and maybe every church that I've served previous, there's always a pocket of people that don't want me there or someone like me there. Uh, and so I, I receive their toxicity. Uh, for various reasons, you know. So what a pleasure it is to come here and not be aware of anybody <laughs> that doesn't like me. So ignorance is bliss, I guess, right? It's in the Bible somewhere, right? Yeah. Okay, I want to talk about um, an encounter with God today. We're going to be in Isaiah chapter 6, and uh, I'd like to start by asking this question. What would it take for you to have an insatiable thirst for more of God? What would it take for you to have an insatiable thirst for more of God? The easy answer to that question is by having a life-changing personal encounter with God. Some of you have, some of you haven't. And I'd say that online too. Some of you have, some of you haven't. This is what happened to Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, uh, and I'm going to read from the first, eight, uh, read the first eight verses. For the most part, this kind of encounter that we'll read about with Isaiah in a moment, for the most part, it's, it's a sovereign act that God does what God does. And yet, are there some things that we can learn from this passage about how to prepare ourselves so that we might have a better chance, you might say, 
at having this personal encounter with God. I don't know if you've ever been in uh, the thick presence of God. I don't really know how to describe it. I have a few times. And I know every time that I have, I, I just feel like there's a, an invisible hand just kind of pushing me to the floor, that you just want to get on your face before God, partly because we don't feel worthy and partly because of just the concept of His holiness. Um, but anyway, I'd like to start by reading the, the first eight verses of Isaiah. It's not Isaiah 6, is it? It's Isaiah 9, isn't it? Did I get confused? It's, a, it's 6. Yeah, sorry. My notes are wrong. It's 6. Yeah, okay. Isaiah 6, verses 1 through 8. And I would also say here that I have learned a lot from uh, uh, Tim Keller, author, theologian, uh, regarding some of the work in this, this particular passage. So I wanted to let you know that. So I'll read that. And then we'll pray, and I'll, uh, we'll see what we can find out. So starting in verse 1, In the year of King Uzziah's death, I saw the Lord sitting on a throne, lofty and exalted, and the train of his robe filling the temple. Seraphim stood above him, each having six wings. With two he covered his face, with two he covered his feet, and with two he flew. And one called out to the other, and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the thresholds trembled at the voice of him who called out, while the temple was being filled with smoke. And then I said, Woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal in his hand, which he had taken from the altar with tongs. And he touched my mouth with it and said, Behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here am I. Send me. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for this opportunity. Thank you for this church. We dedicate the future uh, to you. We ask that you would be the main teacher here today, this morning. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So the question here is, what can we learn from Isaiah's encounter with God? Uh, there's four things, and I will give them to you, and then we'll go back and look at those, each one. Uh, so we are invited, number one, we are invited to recognize that God's glory is present and available. His glory exists in the whole earth, right? That's what he said. So God's presence, God's glory is available and present for us. Number two, we are invited to recognize and acknowledge our own brokenness. And number three, we are invited to recognize that where there is great humility, there is great grace. And then, number four, we are invited to recognize and surrender to God's call upon our lives. Each one of us has a call upon our lives. So we'll look at those one at a time. Number one, recognize that God's glory is present and available. Verse three, 
And one called out to another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. God's glory abounds. God's glory is available. Sometimes we focus on all the negative. There's a lot of negative in our world today. But for us to get a sense, a perspective, to see that God's glory still abounds. It is available to us. What is God's glory? The literal translation of the Hebrew word for glory is weight, weight. We can think of it this way. If you were to drop a rock into a bucket of water, or if you were to drop a rock into a pond, that rock would disrupt and displace the water. If it's in a bucket, the water would splash out. If you drop a rock into a pond, it will ripple out. Why? Because the rock has more glory than the water. And so when God's glory comes into a person's life, it ripples, it splashes, it disrupts us. When, I, when glory breaks into Isaiah's life, everything is disrupted and displaced. In a few moments, Isaiah's view of God, his view of himself, and his view of his future, it all changed in just a few moments. When we encounter the weight of God's glory, it disrupts absolutely everything in our life. And sometimes that frustrates us because we think that when God's glory comes, it's going to make everything nice and happy and easy. But it's probably just the opposite is more true. Uh, Tim Keller talks about it this way. There is a difference between God as a concept and God as a reality. And what I've encountered in churches around the United States and in the UK is churches, I won't say are filled, but there's a lot of people, faithful church people, where God is still only a concept in their life. God is just a concept, not a reality where they've had an experience with God. And so part of my heart for the church and part of my heart for this church is that we would, that you would have an encounter with God as individuals, as couples, as a church family to encounter God. And I think these are some ways that we can prepare ourselves to encounter God. Another way to say it, and I think this is a Kellerism too, is that we go from uh, understanding to standing under. You see the difference? We have some ideas, we have some thoughts, we have some perspective. I've said things like, you know, I have more of the gospel in my head than I have in my heart, and you probably do too. So we go from understanding to standing under. When it comes alive to us, we stand under this beautiful truth. It wasn't as if Isaiah didn't believe in God until that day that it happened. But, but it was the day that God moved Isaiah from seeing him as a concept to Isaiah seeing God as a reality. And we don't know where Isaiah had this vision. He had a vision of the temple, but it could be he was just walking into church one day. It could be he was just walking into the temple one day, and all of a sudden he encountered God. And that's always my prayer for people who come to church, that you will encounter God in this place.
When God is only a concept in our lives, it doesn't deeply stir us. It doesn't really change us. Uh, God as a con- uh, concept tends to try and fit in with our own belief uh, system, our own sense of morality, uh, our own code of ethics. God as a concept ha- doesn't do much to change our agenda, does it? it just, we just keep kind of going. Now we have God, but we view it more like a spice than anything else, that, that God has been added to our lives, and we tend to just keep moving. Have you ever had a moment like that in your life when God moved from being a concept to being a reality for you? And I, I wish I could tell you some stories, but there were moments in my life, and, and many of you could testify to this as well, where something happened in your life, a set of circumstances, where you, you, you end up saying, God, you're, you really are there, aren't you? And, and pastors have that same response too, you know. Uh, we don't have it all together. We, we're like, wow, this must be God. God, you're, you're really there. And uh, we saw that. I don't know how much you're aware, but just all the things that led um, Josh to Community Covenant and his family, there were just so many things, and maybe he'll have a chance to share from his perspective when he starts to preach and, and teach in August. But we were just so astounded by how God set things up for this uh, next season of ministry fruitfulness here at Community Covenant Church. It doesn't always have to be as dramatic as what happened to Isaiah. We, uh, that would be awesome. Uh, I don't know if I want to see seraphim, but nevertheless, uh, that would be scary. But, but it, it, it can be those little things that leave you saying, wow, God, you really are there, aren't you? So when God becomes a reality in our lives, instead of God fitting into our agenda, then God becomes our agenda. And I hope you see the difference there too. The glory of God ripples through our lives and then radically changes our priorities in life. And that brings us to number two. We are invited to recognize and acknowledge our own brokenness. Uh, Verse 5, then I said, woe is me, for I am ruined, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, for my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Uh, Jewish scholars and Christian scholars, historians, indicate that Isaiah was the son of a very prominent family and that he was trained and was esteemed as a master orator. So what's, what's going on in this passage? We have a tendency to read that. I'm a man of unclean lips. And maybe, I don't know what your tendency, my tendency would say, well, he must be saying that he's got kind of a potty mouth. And, uh, and he feels bad about that. Uh, partly because I kind of do too. But, um, but that's, we kind of read that into it. But that's not what he's saying. If he's this master orator, what he's saying that the best I have to offer, the best thing about me is still not enough. That's what he seems to be saying here. The best he has to offer is not enough. He's become incomplete and unclean in the presence of God's glory. And then in verse 6, we see Isaiah most likely thought that the wrath of God was going to kill him. Think of it this way. If, if you were to see a, a seraphim and, and you made it through that experience still alive without fainting or something, and then that seraphim goes over to this fire of burning coals, and the seraphim even had to use tongs to grab a coal, right? So that's hot stuff. So the, if, if, that, if you saw that, a seraphim grabbing 
a hot coal with tongs and turning around and coming at you, what are you going to think? We're going to think, I'm going to die. And I, I could almost guarantee you that, that Isaiah thought he was going to die in that moment. He was going to get killed. The, the, the holiness and the glory of God was going to kill him. But we found out that that doesn't happen, right? Uh, John Calvin writes uh, in one of his uh, commentaries that Isaiah expected immediate destruction. But it didn't happen. That takes us to number three. We are invited to recognize that where there is great humility, there is great grace. Verse 7, he touched my mouth with it, the coal, and said, behold, this has touched your lips, and your iniquity is taken away, and your sin is forgiven. Now, the first thing we need to see here is that Isaiah knew that he couldn't cleanse himself. He couldn't heal himself. He needed something from the outside to come and touch him. God's glory, the uh, burning coal, those things we, we need. We can't save ourselves. There's a lot of people in church that say, well, you know, or maybe not in church, I should say, that think about coming back to church or going to church, and they'll say things like, well, I'm going to try and clean up my act, and then I'll get back into church, and maybe I'll be more acceptable. But that's, that's not the point. The point is, none of us have our act together, right? And we all uh, need to come to God, and I think church helps us to worship together through song and, and through um, Scripture through giving of tithes and offerings, we need to be together in order to do that. And so instead of this, this death, Isaiah experienced cleansing and healing. This is gospel grace, a beautiful picture of the atoning work of Jesus Christ, God's holiness. It didn't destroy Isaiah. It actually cleansed him. Let me say that again. God's holiness didn't destroy Isaiah, it actually cleansed him and healed him. When God's holiness meet, meets the sacrificial love of Jesus on the cross, it cleanses us too as we repent and believe. And notice too that Isaiah's self-image was deconstructed and reconstructed on the spot. In the same moment, Isaiah realized that he was more sinful than he ever dared believe and simultaneously, he was more loved than he ever dared imagine. And that's a Kellerism, too, and I've used that quote many, many times over the last 23 months. But that is what separates Christianity from every other religion and philosophy of life. That we, we know that we are sinners as Christians, and, and, and we know that we are sinners and we are humble because we know that we are sinners. But on the other hand, when we meet God, when we have an encounter with God, we also become bold. And so Christians are the only people, I think, that can live in that divine tension. We're, we're humble because we know we're sinners, and we're bold because we know that we are loved by God. And we're, we're, we're called to live right there in that tension. And number four, we are invited to recognize and surrender to God's call upon our life. This is pretty straightforward. Verse 8, and then I heard a voice, uh, the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here am I, send me. 
maybe you've heard this, maybe you haven't. Isaiah went into the service of God, and I don't remember how long his ministry was. Do you know that there was never a convert in his ministry? All he did was declare the beauty, the wonder, and the majesty of God. And then uh, Hebrews 11, that hall of fame of faith, uh, Isaiah was the guy that got stuffed into a log and sawn in two. He was that guy. So this masterful orator from a prominent family goes into ministry, never experiences a convert, and in the end gets stuffed in a log and sawn in two. And when he saw Jesus, I'm sure he heard those words, well done, my good and faithful servant. That's a lot going on. Once we've had an encounter with God, an encounter with our true self, who we really are, God becomes more real than our needs at that point. And we surrender ourselves into his service. Out of, uh, grateful, uh, out of grateful and responsive joy, we surrender ourselves into the service of the living God. Whatever you do during the week, retired, working, in the home, outside the home, whatever you do, your real calling is to be a minister of God's grace, God's mercy, God's love. Our vocation is second to our calling as ministers. Barbara referred to it as we're all pastors. Uh, we are to care and to love the best that we are able. That's our calling. So as we draw this to a conclusion and before Linda comes, Community Covenant Church is entering into yet another transition, right? So it's been five and a half years of, of transitions. What's different about this transition is I view it as a transition of permanence or a transition to permanence. As I've shared with you, and you'll hear more in the days ahead, all the uh, affirmations of God in us coming up with the right person to lead Community Covenant Church into the future along with our amazing staff and excellent elders. Uh, it's just been beautiful to see and to watch and to experience. Uh, God certainly does do the heavy lifting in church. For the last almost two years, you know, we as a church have kind of circled the wagons. COVID helped us to do that, right? We've done what's necessary. We've done reflecting. We've done some rebuilding. We've done some reaffirming of what God has called Community Covenant to do. Uh, now is the time to look outward, to, to return to our original calling, uh, to love God, to love people, and to make disciples. And I'm pretty passionate about that idea that it's not just about the Great Commission, is it? It's really about the Great Commandment. Love God, love people. And that fuels our calling into the Great Commission. And without that love of God and love of actually loving people, you know, out of that will flow rivers of living water, it says in, in the Gospel of John. And so our evangelism, our zeal, comes out of loving God and loving people. And it's out of that that we go. I sincerely believe that the best days of Community Covenant Church are ahead of us. 
ahead of you, I should say. And with that, I'd like to invite Linda to come up and share uh, her prayer with you. And then the, the, the worship team's going to come back up too. Good morning. Um, I'd like for you to consider as you join me in prayer to lift your face upwards with your eyes closed because David reminds us in the Psalms that God is the lifter of our heads. And I don't know about you, but during this pandemic era, my head's been down a lot more than it has been up, looking towards my hope and receiving from him. Let's pray together. Trustworthy Father, as we gather today to praise the good work of your hand in this church family, we rejoice that you have made a way forward through the pandemic while equipping Community Covenant for this new season of fruitful ministry. Refresh the souls of all who have served and encouraged others and strengthen the hearts of so many who are still struggling through loss anxiety, and hardship. Keep them under the shadow of your wing where your redeeming love restores the soul. As we reconnect our bond of fellowship, may we receive with faith and open hands the future you have for Community Covenant. In this new season, grace us all a time of green pastures as we welcome Pastor Josh and his family. May they wear your yoke, Lord Jesus, and not the yoke of our expectations and preferences. Continue to rest your good hand upon our relationships and the leadership of Community Covenant Church, both in word and in deed, as we supremely treasure Jesus and live into the gospel together. For from him originates this good news, which is for all people and in which we stand. We ask these things in the glorious name of Jesus. Amen. <laughs>